Would you turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 7? The golden rule is basic Christianity, the title of my sermon tonight. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> this is like Sermon 39 or 40 or something like that here in this uh, few chapters. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, the first book of the Old Testament. And uh, man, it's so rich. I just keep in there, and I'm like, it's only three chapters. How many sermons can you really get? Oh, my. Man, we're just digging in, and the Bible is so rich. It's a, I mean, it's kind of like mining around here. They keep mining. Oh, Thompson's a 50-year town. We're going to be out of here, and, and we still got minimum another 20 years of, of ore in the ground. You know what? There's so much stuff under the ground, and you start digging into God's Word, and oh, boy, man, you got some gems, and uh, I trust that you'd be digging in there every day. And some days you get more than out than others, but uh, oh my, this word is so encouraging. What a blessing it is to have God's word. You know what? I'm thankful for men like uh, John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, who were burnt. William Tyndale went to the stake and burned on the stake. He was burned because he believed that every person ought to have the Bible that they can read. They don't need it in Latin. That every person, and he would say he would wish. The desire of the plowboy would have more knowledge of the Bible than the priests. Amen. And I'm so thankful that, you know what, because if, you, if we have the Word of God, no longer is there a control of a system over us. We have God's Word for ourselves, and we can say, thus saith the Lord. Amen. And so thankful for the witness and the testimony of people that laid down their lives, and that God has preserved His Word. If anyone want to say this is man's Word, Oh my, oh my, they've missed out so much. This is God's word, and I'm thankful it's preserved for us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 tonight, 11 and 12, particularly verse 12 is where we're going to be emphasizing tonight, but uh, verse 11 lays in the context. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, so the word therefore, you've got to figure out what it's there for. It's a concluding remark. Therefore, all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. A little illustration for you. One Sunday, a lady was inviting children to come to Sunday school when she met a boy and asked him why he went so far, past so many Sunday schools to get to his own. There are plenty of others, said she, just as good. He said, they may be so good. But they're not so good for me. Why not, she asked. Because they love a fellow over there, he answered. You know, it's easy to reach people through love. Those who are successful in showing men love will be successful in winning them to Christ. It doesn't matter how much, you know, it's kind of said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is absolutely true. And understanding that this church, my desire is here, is if you come to this church, you know that you're loved, you're cared for. We will go out of our way to walk with you on the journey of faith. If you don't know Jesus, oh man, we'd love to show you him. You know, in James chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible tells us, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to be living it. It ought to show. I want to ask you several questions as we proceed here. And Do you ever find yourself interacting with people from society personally or maybe over the phone? And they frustrate, anger, or irritate you maybe in some manner. Now the question is, when they do bring up some irritation, how do you respond? 
And just because there's an irritation internally, uh, does that come out externally? How do you respond when maybe there's a brother in the Lord with whom maybe you harbor ill feelings or prolonged feelings of hurt from an incident in the past? How do you act when someone treats you rudely? They don't treat you right. Or worse yet, they may treat you as a slave or some, as you perceive, a second-class citizen. How do you respond? These questions, your response to them, reveal a great deal about your heart. I want to ask you tonight, are you God's child? Now, you might be a Christian. You say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. Well, that's, that's wonderful. I'm so glad. But if you're God's child, do you belong to God or do you belong to yourself? Who is it that dictates how you live out your life? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because the answer to these questions will determine whether you are obedient to verse 12. Now, none of us like to be treated as second-class citizens. None of us like to be treated as some slave or some, uh, you know, lackey. I don't like it, and I know you don't. None of us do. We can get rather upset. How dare they? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. How dare they talk to me that way? How dare they treat me like that? But I want to ask you tonight, if you, don't, if you belong to yourself, you're going to be, it's going to upset you. It's going to upend you. It's going to change you. It's going to alter you. But if you belong to Christ, you'll carry on. Because many times, those who started these early churches, the the early members of these churches, were oftentimes slaves, literal slaves. Some of them would have harsh taskmasters. But it is these slaves that would comprise the early churches that would get the gospel out. They were slaves in real society, but they were ambassadors for Christ, irrespective of their position in society. No matter how society looks at us, whether good or ill, this ought not to determine, this ought not to dictate how I respond to others. If circumstances dictate how I respond to others, then you belong to yourself. Let me say that again. If circumstances of an individual that treats you in a particular fashion dictates how you respond, then you belong to yourself. You're not guided by the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the Bible asks, What know ye not that your body, this is speaking of believers, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God and you're not your own. You know what? What a wonderful truth, Christian. God's Spirit lives within you. God's Spirit and my spirit can be in harmony as, I was, as we were created. Man, I can have fellowship with the Father. I can go straight to Him because He lives within me. Man, what a wonderful truth. And then it says in verse 20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Does he give any conditions on glorifying God in your body? Only when things are good. Only when things are going well for you does God say glorify God in your body. No, he just says glorify God in your body. This means at all times and in your spirit, which are whom? Who do they belong? God's. 
You don't belong to yourself. If you're a Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed out of the slave market of sin. You've been redeemed from the evil father Satan. You've been redeemed from the power of Satan and sin over your life. And you do not belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. But if you belong to yourself, you're saying, God, I do not follow you. God, I do not submit. Believer who may want to bring up potentially hurts from the past, maybe even of a believer, is one who has realized, has not realized that they don't belong to themselves. There's still a self and pride. And is it any wonder that maybe there's some conflict in your own life? Proverbs 13.10, as I spoke about this morning, only by pride cometh contention but with a well-advised is wisdom. And may you and I let the golden rule be our rule for life and godliness. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight in a passage of Scripture. Lord, it's uncomfortable. Father, it just it shows whether we want to glorify you or we want to we're still trying to protect our image. And God, how guilty so many times I know that I am. Father, I pray tonight as the word of God goes forth, Lord, that we would search our hearts. We'd let your spirit reveal any sin in our lives. Lord, we'd just be yielded to thee. God, we need you tonight. God, our society needs Christians that are real. Not just that we say we are and that we actually are, but Father, Christians that live really for Christ as a disciple. So Father, tonight I pray that you'd work in our hearts in a way that only you can. And Lord, I pray that it would be true of each and every one of us. Lord, as you speak to us, I'll obey. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray. Amen. As you think about this, our status before God uh, in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 7, as you come back to this passage, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, our status before God in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God says, listen, you have a dirty, rotten, stinking heart. And so do I. Every one of us have a dirty, rotten heart. I mean, I'm selfish. Man, if, if I give in, there's so many times I want what I want the way I want it. And how dare you try to step on what I want, and vice versa. Our heart, I mean, if my heart is not guided and led and filtered through the truths of God word, God's word, man, my heart does some things, and I'm like, where in the world did that ever come from? I have a dirty, stinking heart. Do you realize this in Romans chapter 5, verse 10? For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen, my status before God is I was an enemy, and he still tried to pull me unto himself. In our evil state before God, yet even when I did not know Christ, and for many people that do not know Christ, as we find here in verse 11, if ye then, being evil, our hearts are wicked. 
Now, my spirit and soul are saved and will go on for eternity, but this, this rotten body, it's going to die someday. It, there's evil flesh here. There's selfish thoughts. There's bad thoughts that come. And there's some, I mean, yes, Satan sends thoughts, but there's sometimes my own wicked heart sends thoughts. And I've got to control it and filter it through the word of God. But he said, if ye then, being evil, as Jesus is talking, even to his disciples, he said, if you're even evil, you know, a parent, one of the things we find that's so remarkable is the love of a parent for the child. So many parents, whether they know Jesus or not, they will go, they will raise heaven and, I mean, they will do all that they can to help their child. They will go out of their way. And Jesus said, if these parents know how to give good gifts unto your children, someone who is not pure, someone who does not uh, know Jesus, who has not been redeemed, who does not belong to God, knows how to treat their children well. Jesus and God says, Jesus says, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, know how to give good, good things to them that ask him? God knows what you need. God knows what to give you. God knows all of your needs. In Matthew chapter 6, just prior to this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles here is not just uh, in, in relation to non-Jewish, but the Gentiles here are those that don't know God. The lost people... As all our, our world, they seek clothes, they seek shelter, they seek food, basic needs. All, everyone, whether you're saved or not, that's what you seek. That's what he's saying. But he goes on to say, for your father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So God, so as a loving parent knows whether they know God or not, a loving parent knows how to provide and try to protect their child. Would you agree with me? But God says, so much more do I, as a father, know how to give you good things. He said, I know all your needs. I know everything. If the world who's evil knows how to give good things, God the Father who is pure and holy, oh my, he knows much more how to give us good things. He knows all that we need, far greater than we deserve. In 1 John 1, 9, and knowing all the good things that we need as we ask him. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. He's forgiving of someone who is repentant. Man, he knows how to give you good things. He knows how to restore you back to the good things. He shows us how to relate to him and others. I want you to look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus Christ was sent to redeem sinners to himself, even as we were God's enemy. In 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet Jesus still came. Is not God good? 
if you're evil and know how to give good things to your children, how much more does God, the creator, the father, the provider, the healer, he knows everything that you need. His very word, the Bible, is what he wants and how he conducts himself in relation to humanity. That's how God relates to us. In Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, white. And we have lots of snow to give us a good reminder. You'll be white as snow. Man, God knows what we need is good. If a, if a parent who has an evil heart, as you and I do, knows how to treat our children well, God says, so much more do I. Now he gives us a therefore. In a concluding thought, if God knows what's good for us who are evil, if God knows how to treat us well, despite our evil and wickedness of our hearts, now he tells us a thought here. Therefore, I've got to figure out why is this here, right? What is it there for? All things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you. So it starts off with a thought of how I want to be treated. Then the Bible says, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The passage starts here with the therefore, a concluding thought. This thought is to comprise all that you do, all that you live. He says, therefore, all things, all things. God doesn't give us circumstantial morality or ethics or integrity. In this situation, you don't need to do this. God doesn't tell you. He says, all things. All means all, and that's all all means. He says, think about the way you want to be treated. And then treat others in the same way. You realize in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, in a very parallel account to, to this, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Now, has there ever been a time in your life that you've misunderstood a particular circumstance? And you are confirmed, I mean, you are convinced that someone has done you wrong. As truth and facts are now put together, you realize that your reaction was not consistent with truth. Have you ever had a time where you got mad and you shouldn't have got mad because what was happening wasn't what you were thinking it was? Ever had that? I know I can definitely say I have. There's situations in my life where I let my emotions get there and my response was with what my emotions were, though the facts were not consistent with that occasion. If I can be deceived in that situation, then I can be deceived in other situations. My emotions are not just because I might have a great pent-up anger or frustration doesn't mean I need to let it out. 
the, the, the guiding principle of how I'm treating others is how do you want to be treated. Now, as I was, for instance, let's go back to that scenario, that I imagine somebody said something about me. And so I get all, Whoa, you know. And then it's, it comes as the truth that they didn't say this to me. And so maybe I, I go to an individual and I'm like, you know, and I'm kind of spewing out all my frustration on them. And they're very gracious with me. Now that's how I'd want to be treated. I was wrong. I had wrong facts. And I treated someone in frustration and anger when I had wrong facts. The Bible says in all things... So if someone is treating me ill, I'm still thinking, how would I want to be treated if maybe I was in their position? Would you not want grace? Would you not want someone to be patient with you? You're thinking, yeah, but I want to give them a big old one-two. Boom. You know, I want to sock them. The Bible doesn't say, what, how do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated when you make a mistake? When you act out wrongly? How do you want to be treated? That's what it starts off with. Look with me at Mark chapter 12. Man, the Bible has a way of just like, it just thrusts right into our heart, into the very depths of our character. Who are you, what are you made up of? The only, the only interesting thing, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The interesting thought on this, and I know always, oftentimes when I'm preaching this, I'll have a, something come up afterwards that'll test me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 30 of Mark 12 Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor, how? As thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God and there is one, none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all. Whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What's he saying? Well, the scribe is saying, listen, I can go through and I can do all the sacrifices, I can do all the good works, but if I don't love God with all that I am and I don't love my neighbors myself, it doesn't, it doesn't matter piddly squat. Everything you want to do for God. If you're not living with a love for God and a love for neighbors yourself. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question, Jesus I mean, he shut this down. Now, I want to start off with number one. Your actions declare your loyalty. The fundamental problem in how I treat other peoples is the question of whom do you belong. And I, I've already posed that question there from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, let's talk about sacrificial love. Maria Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both her parents died when Maria was a little girl, and she was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. 
The loss of her parents, however, did not deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. So she leaves the mission field. Her parents die as a young child, so now she's parentless. She's raised by an uncle. At age 16, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary herself. Five years later, she married Hudson Taylor, so at age 21, a man well-known today for his life of ministry, faith, and sacrifice. Hudson and Maria's work was often criticized, even by other Christians. At one point, Maria wrote, as to the harsh judgings of the world, or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally feel that the, bless, the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. Maria herself died of cholera when she was just 43. She believed the cause was worthy of the sacrifice. On her grave marker, these words were inscribed. For her to live was Christ and to die was gain. In a day when many are self-absorbed and care more about what they can get rather than what they can give, we need a renewal of sacrificial love. It was God's love for us that sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And it is that kind of giving love that our world needs so greatly today. When we love God as we should, our interests fade as we magnify him. Listen. Here is Hudson and Maria Taylor, some of the premier uh, missionaries of the past. I mean, you read about them. Wow, they did great things. And he was imprisoned and all sorts of things, translated the Bible there into Chinese. And man, God did a great work, but he had to hide that Bible. And he went through great sickness in prison for years. They had five of their children die. She had lost her parents as a young child. You talk about bad circumstances. She had bad circumstances. God abandoned me. God's no good. Oh, my parents are dead. Oh, the Christians don't like me. I'm giving up. I'm going home. I'm throwing in the towel. And we would never read about her today. How many Christians have thrown in the towel? How many Christians, because someone speaks ill of me, I'm giving up, I'm not doing that, I'm not going to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. There's a bunch of hypocrites at Walmart and Safeway and all over community. Don't live your life for, you're not comparing yourself and living yourself for hypocrites, you're living yourself for Jesus. You get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to focus on all that garbage. And you're going to stay in the garbage pit. And it stinks. Look at me in the Bible at Mark chapter 5. Isn't God's word amazing? Man, it cuts to the heart. None of me and all of Christ. Matthew 5, 16. It's about taking responsibility before God and saying, God, oh, I hurt. As we sang that, lost song, that last song, commune as friend with friend. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men. What circumstances am I to let that light not shine? What circumstances can I give in? What circumstances can I just give them a piece of my mind of what a ruthless peace you know, what a ruthless person, vile person they are. What circumstances does God give me to say that? 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, where is the glory going? Certainly doesn't come to me. Look with me at Matthew 6, 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, man, that's hard. Because I want me. I want to get back on that. Th- I want to get back on the throne of my life. Let's look a little further. At what God says in Matthew five forty three. Ye have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Well, only some of them. I need to love some of them. No, no, no. It doesn't say some of them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. They treat you like a slave. And persecute you. Now why am I going to do all this? Verse 45 tells us that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Listen, good comes to both the evil and the, and the just, the righteous, the Christian. God can make the sun rise on evil. God can make the sun rise on your life. Verse 46, for if you love them which love you, which that's normal, we love those who love us, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. The lost people love those who love them. I mean, why is there so, you know, Hollywood stars and athletes? Man, people love them. They're just like, woo, yeah, I'm the greatest. But if someone says a bad word about them in the news, they're just like, ah, you know, their side comes out. But if we as a Christian, in verse 47, if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. But be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. But if I'm responding, what short-sighted, weak, and pathetic Christians will sulk about those who may hurt them and we don't forgive? How little do Christians actually love the Lord when we're not willing to go out of our way to reconcile with those who may have issue against me? What Christians behave so many times like a heathen world by just loving their friends. What a mockery to the cause of Christ. You and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be a reconciling people, not peacemakers, not one who holds grudges. Your salvation is of so little cost in your esteem if we're not willing to forgive an individual who's wronged you. Forgiveness is a willingness to release the emotional and or physical pain they have perpetrated against you without thought of revenge or ill feelings. And instead, you give that to the Lord to judge them. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So if you go to Matthew, go back two books. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the uh, judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine, what? Evil 
and your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath, for all these things uh, are, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Imagine evil. Man, I wish I could get evil, even with them. Man, I wish that person who did me wrong, man, I hope they crash and burn. I hope they get what's coming to them. I hope they get their bad karma, as some people may say. Now I understand if someone's done something illegal, there is understandable legal justice that may come upon them. But the first thing that happens is actions declare your loyalty. Number two, actions declare your love. Because it tells us to love thy neighbor as thyself. All of the law and the prophets are concerned with loving God and loving others. In quotes here, truly, love is the fulfilling of the law. If we love God as we ought, we would never violate his commands. If we loved each other as we ought, we would never offend another. Jews refer to the Old Testament summarily, means kind of in a summary, uh, as the law and the prophets. Jesus said the whole of the Old Testament scripture was thus summarized in these two simple yet profound truths. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbors yourself. All the Old Testament put together in a very simple summary. Look with me at Romans chapter 13. I need to hasten here, but Romans chapter 13. Verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled this law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling law. My love is to pay all my debts, regard the life of another. Adultery is not to regard the sacred relationship of marriage. Murder is not the regard for the life of another. Theft is a lack of regard for my neighbor's belongings. False witness uh, is where I'm telling, uh, I'm gossiping, and, and I'm also maybe uh, hurting the character. I'm saying, did you hear about John so-and-so? Man, John is the scoundrelous, wickedest, worthless pers- you know, person. And I'm trying to hurt his character. Well, if he wants to hurt his character, he can do that on his own. I don't need to help it. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that do truly are his delight. And the fact, that's Proverbs 12, 22. You realize this also in, in uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet, that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. You're ill-regarding the character of the individual to whom you're speaking about. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 10 tells us about doing good to them with their household of faith. Let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works. That's Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And a failure to love is a failure to be a disciple of Christ. John 13 tells us. John, look with me at John 13. John 13, 34. John 13, 34. If there's going to be love, it ought to be... If you're going to see love in, this, in, in society, it ought to be within the house of God. It ought to be. 
Because we're not ruled by me or you, we're ruled by Christ. And Christ brings unity. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How? If ye have love one to another. Discipleship is just to love other believers. Now I understand there's other believers that may have different doctrinal positions, but I'm not... Uh, and and, and there is a, there's, that's a whole other rabbit trail, or another, you know, another sermon, but I'm not going down there. But within the church, a local church, like this church, there ought to be a love for one another. The spirit of meekness. You realize this in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Hey, if one of you are struggling in a particular area, Rather than coming down and laying down the hammer and trying to beat you over the head, hey, I'm going to come alongside you. You know, if someone's sick, I want to pick them up and I want to help walk with them in life. Now, I understand there's a time where church discipline happens, but, but listen, at first, my goal is restoration. Hey, I could be in the very same situation. I could understand, but by the grace of God, I could be there. But by the grace of God, I could be tempted to go that way. Hey, I'm walking with Christ. I want to help someone that's weaker. Let's finish this race together. Let's get along. Let's help each other. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. A local church is a family that comes together and they encourage and they lift up and, and no, we're not accepting of sin. I'm not accepting of wrong things. But hey, I want to come along because I want you to be all that God wants you to be and I hope that you hope that for me as well, that I could be all that God wants me to be. And if you're struggling, you want not to have a problem coming to a brother saying, hey, can I talk with you privately? Let's talk. Man, I'm really struggling in this area. Would you pray with me? Absolutely. Hey, would you help hold me accountable? Absolutely. I'm not going to let it go out of the room, but I'm going I'm to stick right on white on rice. I, would be, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have someone that had cared enough to come along and say, hey, Chris, you're slipping. Hey, let's get back up and go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Hey, how do I want to be treated? If I want to be treated this particular way, then I ought to treat others that way. Do you realize this also, that actions declare your labor? But by love, you know, in Galatians 5, 13 through 14. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It says, serve one another. We have liberty in Jesus Christ. I'm desiring the betterment. I want you to be everything God has made you to be. Now, I can have ideas of what I would like you to do, but who cares? I want you to be what God wants you to be. I want you to be a blood-bought, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Baptize, join the church, and get busy for God. Man, God's got, a, God's got a goal, God's got a ministry, God's got a service that he wants you to do that only you can fulfill. No one else can fulfill what you can do. It's your job that God's called you to do it. And actions also declare your leadership, my last point. 
You see, in that passage in Galatians chapter 6, brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, understand this. As you grow in Christ, people are watching you. You're a leader. Maybe not in official title, maybe not in position, but you're a leader. My grandmother at the church where I was at as a young child, and, and when I would go back years later, my grandmother, many, when she got older, she, didn't, she stepped out of some ministries and stuff. Many times they were there on Thursday nights, and, and the church would have a, a meal before the, the midweek service. And wonderful thing, but uh, they would have a meal, and, and you would go, and, and they would have potluck, and people would switch up. It's a larger church. Anyways, my grandmother, she didn't do a lot of things around the church, but she did serve in that ministry as long as she could, and then grandpa passed, and then grandma had some health issues. But you know what? My grandmother still began to reach out to the young couples, and she'd give them advice, and you know what? My grandmother, and she said, hey, I'll pray for you. And when my grandma said she's going to pray for you, she would pray for you. And she just ministered. She was a leader to the younger people, whether she knew it or not, they followed. Grandma Lau. And as you grow, and the more you talk about Christ, listen here, you have people watching you that are not at the same faith, spiritual level that you are, and they're watching you. As a pastor, when a pastor goes astray and messes up, it does great damage. Because people say, if he can't do it, then I can't do it. I'm giving up. But in this very idea of, of leadership, therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Listen here, if you're, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for some time, and you're in that Bible, and God's work in your heart, we, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, thou shalt not curse the death, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God, I am the Lord. That word stumbling block is to give a member an occasion to experience inward pain or offense, uh, or it could be to furnish one an occasion for sinning. You know, if someone's struggling in a particular area, I'm not going to talk about certain things around individuals if I know that talking about the very actions that maybe they came out of is going to push them back in that area. Hey, if I know that someone's struggling with, uh, you know, maybe struggling with their eyes, I'm not going to take them down the magazine aisle at Walmart. There's a lot of filth in those magazines. I've got to be thinking about my brother or my sister in the Lord. I don't want them to fall. Because when the army is weak, the army is only as strong as the weakest person. But we want all of us to be strong. We want all of us to work together. We want to have love and unity and work forward for Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm thinking about you and you ought to be thinking about me. Romans 14, 19. Let's look at Romans chapter 14. I've got to read a few verses here. I'm almost done. I'm not only thinking about the lost person, I'm thinking about my, belief, my brother and sister in the Lord. I don't want to be an occasion for stumbling. I've got to watch how I respond. And there's still growth. And I understand we fail and we move forward. Hey, get up, apologize, and move forward. In Romans chapter 14, verse 13, Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus 
But there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitable, charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. What's he saying here? He said, hey, if your brother has an issue with eating meat, man, I love meat. But if it's something, and I'm going to be around you, and you're like, hey, we shouldn't be eating meat. Many times I find, oftentimes when an individual is young in their faith, uh, there's all these sorts of things online, and they'll get, they'll, you know, they'll get bamboozled, and, and they'll start to go this direction. Hey, we shouldn't eat meat, blah, blah, blah. You know, and there's, uh, they'll give us scriptures, and like, okay, whatever. God says we can eat meat. But it could be an occasion to stumbling block, and you know what? And I understand that it's going to be a, a stumbling block and an issue for them. I'm just not going to talk about it. And in time, as I see them growing and they're in the Word of God, maybe they're going to come to a realization that the Spirit of God works on them. You know what? God's Spirit does a great work. He works a whole lot better than you and I do. Now, I understand God gives us to say things at times. But in verse 20, the Bible says, For meat destroy not the work of God. Don't break a church apart upon the color of the carpet upon the paint on the walls. It's not that important. Churches have split over silly things. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or his offended or is made weak. I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians 8, and then I'm coming to my conclusion tonight. You know why? I'm not, I don't want to be a stumbling block? Because I'm thinking about them the way I would want to be treated. You're like, they're ridiculous. You realize how foolish that is? Uh, there's a whole lot of foolish things. There's a lot of foolish things. There's a lot of silly things. You're just like, where in the world did this person go? I mean, they went wacky. Now I understand there's also false prophets and those sorts of things you have to deal with. And God's Spirit gives you understanding and discernment on that. But within the church, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, man, you can have any meat, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see that which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. It says, listen, if there's meat offered to idols, to us it's nothing. You're like, woo free meat, I'll eat it. But if I'm around someone who's coming out of potentially a whole bunch of idolatry, Hinduism, or whatever, and it's going to be a real problem to them, I'm not going to eat that meat. Because I don't want to hurt their faith. Because listen with me, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. You didn't buy that brother out of sin. You didn't buy that, buy that brother out of eternity. Christ did. You don't, he doesn't belong to you. She doesn't belong to you. Christ, they belong to Christ. But when ye so, sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to, uh, to, to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Hey, I'm not going to eat meat around. I'm not going to eat idle meat. Your liberty is another person's potential stumbling block. Be a leader to care for those who are weaker. That's Matthew 7, 12. In conclusion, a wife or husband may remain faithful and give, may give evidence of careful attention in matters pertaining to each other 
And yet there may be a decline in first love. Similarly, a church member may be very regular in his attendance at the services, but no amount of activity, however intense, can compensate for a lack of love. And the fact is, activity cannot compensate for a lack of love. Here's the truth from this. I've talked about actions to declare your loyalty, your love, your leadership, your labor. And all of this can be summed up in one question, to whom do you belong? You can preach Christ all day long. You can give out tracts all day long. But if we begin to become angry, irritable, temperamental Christians, then we undo everything we preach. Here's a phrase I heard. Your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let me say that again. Your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Try to say that fast. <laughs> Christian, are you, anger, are you easily angered at the lost? What if you were in their position? Are you easily upset at those who don't know Christ? Are you convinced that you belong to Christ? Or is there just something that is nice to say and to sing about, but you don't really believe it? This verse is still in the Bible. Are you concerned for others in the way you're concerned about yourself? I love it when I mess up and someone gives me grace. I'm very appreciative. I'm very thankful. Because I mess up. And I'm going to fail people. I know I will. Man, I love it when people give me grace. I hate it when they chew me out. But so also do you. You like it when people give you grace when you mess up. How about we start considering how I want to be treated? If I want grace, then I think they ought to deserve grace as well. If you're here this morning, I understand church can be a scary place, and sure, there are hypocrites here, but church is made up of broken and growing people. Don't resist accepting Christ because of how other people are behaving. Consider Christ before you accept, you know, <laughs> before Christ, who is accept Christ. He's perfect. Everyone else, we're all sinners. Would you come to Christ today? Would you accept Jesus, your personal Savior? I don't care all the bad you've done. But Jesus still says, come, come. Would you acknowledge that you're a sinner? God, I know I've done many bad things. I know I'm a sinner. I know, as the Bible says, I'm headed to hell. And I know Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'll ask you to forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Jesus, for all my sins and be my Savior. And my friend, if you will acknowledge that you're guilty before God, ask him to forgive you, he forgives you. He doesn't hold it against you. And Christian, I'm so thankful that a God, if an evil parent knows how to give good things, and God, even much better, knows how to give, I need to be considering of other people. How do I want to be treated? If I want to be treated well with kindness and respect and compassion, then so also ought we to treat others. And so in conclusion with the invitation tonight, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you, to whom do you belong? Who do you belong? A question for you as you sit there, heads bowed and eyes closed, as the Spirit of God speaks to your heart tonight, I trust that you would submit as God's Spirit has spoken to you this evening.